Welcome to Historic Knoxville News, a podcast series based on readings from old Knoxville newspapers. I'm Melissa Brenneman, Robbie Griffith is the reader, and Knox County historian Steve Cottom provides the commentary. Miss Evelyn Hazen caused a stir in Knoxville society when she sued her lover for dilting her. The following is edited and compiled from Knoxville Journal stories filed from Covington, Kentucky in 1934 as Miss Hazen's courtship was examined in a court of law. February 8th. Trial of the $100,000 breach of promise suit of Evelyn Hazen, former school teacher of Knoxville, Tennessee, against Ralph P. Sharinghouse, Knoxville manufacturer and banker, opened late today in circuit court. A jury was selected and taking of testimony will begin tomorrow. The suit was filed here in May 1933 when Sharinghouse was visiting a relative in nearby Erlanger. Miss Hazen charges she and Sharinghouse agreed to marry in 1917. They remained engaged until 1932, she contends, when he informed her he would not marry her. Sharinghouse has denied that he refused to marry Miss Hazen. Numerous witnesses from Knoxville have been subpoenaed to testify in the case, and depositions of others are to be introduced. February 9th. The first of about 300 love letters Ralph Sharinghouse is alleged to have written to Evelyn Hazen were introduced today in the trial of her suit. I can't think of anyone but you, and can't wait until night to see you, two of the letters said. Sharinghouse called her Little Tim in his letters. One note said, You are undoubtedly the sweetest girl in the world. Another said, You are pretty and attractive, but that is not why I love you. The reason is you are the biggest thing in my life. Life is unbearable when you are out of my sight, still another read. Miss Hazen is seeking $50,000 for Sharinghouse's alleged refusal to marry her and 50000 more for damages suffered because of their alleged intimacy. The courtroom was crowded today. Miss Hazen related a story of a courtship which began at the University of Tennessee in 1914 when, quote, I was just 14 and we were both freshmen, unquote. In 1920 or 1921, he gave her an engagement ring, she said. In 1932, she lost her position as a teacher in Knoxville, she alleges, and Sharinghouse told her he would not marry her. Sharinghouse, formerly a deacon in the Presbyterian Church, dwelt at length on the sanctity of love and marriage in his letters. In one, he told of seeing a show in New York, which he regretted because, quote, it was risque and no place for a deacon in the Presbyterian Church, unquote. Promises of marriage were made in some of the letters, and one informed the young woman, you are going to say yes. Miss Hazen told the court that a bookstore on the campus of the university was their clandestine mailbox. He would leave the notes in designated books where she would find them and leave others for him, she related. The plaintiff's mother, Mrs. Evelyn Hazen, who is about 76 years old, is with her daughter at the trial. February 10th. For the second day, Miss Hazen was the sole witness in the trial. Her assertion that she still is ready and willing to marry the man she contends overcame her scruples followed a question from Stephen L. Blakely, her attorney, during reading of the numerous letters introduced today. Blakely asked her if she ever had asked Sharinghouse to marry her. 
She replied that she had repeatedly asked him, but that he'd repeatedly put her off. All I want is a ceremony. That is all I have ever asked. I will take it now, she exclaimed. The statement was ordered stricken from the record. Attractively dressed, Miss Hazen was composed throughout the hearing Thursday, but her calm was shattered at times today. Her outburst on readiness to marry Sharinghouse even now was followed by tears as she told of the teasing of friends at failure of her lover to marry her. Teased in his presence, she said she would answer, Why don't you ask him? But he, she related, would only smile. February 11th. Ralph Sharinghouse is pictured today as wild and brutal in his lovemaking by Miss Evelyn Hazen. Baby child, said a letter the former deacon wrote her, I sure do love you, and your sweet letters make me wilder and wilder. Baby, I guess it's a good thing I can't see you tonight, because I am so wild I could eat you up. Miss Hazen testified he was wild to the point of brutality, and has hurt me both figuratively and literally. I felt that in a marriage relationship with better surroundings it might change things, she said. Previously, she had asserted he insisted their relations were as sacred as marriage and all right in the sight of God. She told the jury that an atmosphere of piety and holiness pervaded the ardent lovemaking of the former deacon. I don't think I'll ever have peace of mind no matter how this thing turns out, she sobbed, and court proceedings were halted until she regained composure. Miss Hazen asserts she was dismissed as a Knoxville teacher when their relations became known, and as a result is unable to resume her teaching. They were to have been married in 1924, she related, but the wedding was postponed until March 1925. In January 1925, she wanted to resign her teaching position in anticipation of marriage, but Charinghouse protested his expenses were too heavy to marry and said she could do as she pleased about resigning. February 13th. Comely Evelyn Hazen described herself today as a one-man woman who seriously considered suicide when Ralph P. Sharinghouse told her she had better find someone else to take his place. But she stayed her hand, she told a jammed full courtroom, because she realized that was just what he wanted. Throughout her fourth day as a witness, she insisted she loved Sharinghouse alone, had never had affairs with men whose names her attorney fired at her, and that the defense was utterly wrong in insisting that she really wanted three men, one to thrill her, one to soothe her, and Sharinghouse for his money. In fact, she insisted she once told Sharinghouse, I'll do anything, anything you say, if you would marry her, adding that all I want is security and peace of mind. But though she pleaded, discussed suicide, and suggested secret marriage, her girlhood sweetheart, she related, grew colder and colder and criticized her as a wet blanket because I didn't like to drink, smoke, or tell stories in mixed company. Then she said, in June 1932, he wrote that the point has been reached where there is no solution but to stop. It was the last of more than 300 letters she said he wrote her. February 14th to 16th. Insisting, firmly but quietly, that none of that is true, Miss Evelyn Hazen resisted defense attempts to picture her as far from a one-man woman. In a deposition, John F. McKnight, a New York insurance company investigator, 
declared that he and Miss Hazen were never sweethearts, that they stayed in the same hotel in Cleveland once, but on different floors, and that they were never in a Buffalo, New York hotel together. Attorneys for Sharinghouse had asked Miss Hazen if it were not true that she and McKnight spent three nights together in a Buffalo hotel, that she had described bedroom scenes that resulted, and that she had told a girlfriend McKnight was the cutest thing you ever saw in his pajamas. Calmly, she retorted, none of that is true. McKnight's deposition said he came upon Miss Hazen in Cleveland in 1930 and drove her to Buffalo. But instead of going to a hotel with him, he said, she immediately boarded a train for New York. Were you and Miss Hazen ever sweethearts? McKnight was asked. I can't say that we were. Whatever my inclinations may have been, I never received any encouragement. Earlier in the day, a deposition concluding Miss Hazen's case was admitted from Harry Clark, superintendent of Knoxville Schools, who said she had been asked to resign as a teacher because her affair with Sharinghouse had become commonly known and that had she not resigned, the position would have been declared vacant. Ralph P. Sharinghouse testified in June 1932. She said that if I ever tried to get loose from her, she would ruin me or kill me. Rather than threatening her alleged betrayer's life, it was she, Miss Hazen said, who went about in fear for her safety, even to having a bodyguard. Again and again, she denied she bought a pistol with the thought of killing Sharinghouse, though she admitted a friend told her, I was a fool if I didn't, and admitted once writing that I wish I could put R permanently out of the way. She related he persistently avoided marriage. He claimed that trying to get her to marry me was the hardest job I ever worked at. He declared she told him there were three men she liked and that if I ever marry you, I certainly would want them to come see me any time they wanted to. She said he would have to change his name because she disliked it, he added. Told him as well she didn't know how to cook and didn't care to learn and didn't want any children. While she sobbed, the man who testified he once was crazy about her told a packed full courtroom that he became under her domination. What she said, I did declared she objected to nearly all his friends and called them saps and nitwits and telling of violent rages into which she would fall, asserted she rained profanity on him. Once he testified, he won her to agree to marry him, but it was an idle victory. In 1924, she agreed, he said, but then postponed their plans because she wanted a $1,200 trousseau. He denied, however, the story she told of his inducing her to enter intimate relations, and denied, too, that he had told her their relations were all right in the sight of God. February 17. It was Evelyn Hazen's fault, Ralph P. Sharinghouse testified today, that he broke an engagement of almost 15 years. Bit by bit, he said, her nagging and abuse whittled away the love he had felt for many years, until at last, in 1932, he had lost all affection and it had become impossible to learn to love her again. I put my heart at her feet, he earnestly told the jury, but she kicked it around. I wanted a home and children and kept pressing her to marry me, but she would not consent to having children if she did marry me. She would find fault with everything I did, he went on bitterly declaring she even compelled him to wear his hat with a brim snapped down when he preferred it up. Because of her disposition, I was forced to watching everything I said for fear that she might resent it. 
When we went to dances, I was given instructions not to dance with the wives of my friends. My men friends seemed to have detected this and would not dance with Miss Hazen. As a result, we did not have many good times at dances. And after telling of his election as a deacon of his church, he related as well that she objected to his taking a social drink now and then and demanded that he cease to play cards for ordinary stakes and bet moderately on football games and horse races. To such an extent did their wrangling grow, he said, that her father once told them, if you can't get along together, the best thing you can do is stop going together. Again and again he reiterated that he implored her to marry him, but that invariably she refused. She seemed to want a career instead, he said. February 18th. Ralph P. Sharinghouse is practically broke, he says. Once a figure of affluence in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he was vice president of a manufacturing concern and director of a bank, he told the jury he now has no job, no income, and no property. Miss Evelyn Hazen has testified that Sharinghouse dared her to sue him and vowed he would place his money where she couldn't get it even were she to obtain a judgment for a million dollars. February 19th. A former friend of Miss Evelyn Hazen declared on the witness stand today that she had told him she didn't love and never had loved Ralph Sharinghouse. She made the statement on a visit to New York in 1930, said Clifford Penland, 39, now Assistant Secretary of the Memphis Chamber of Commerce. Instead, he related... She declared her love for Jack McKnight, now a New York insurance company investigator, insisting he interested her in more ways than Ralph or any other man. Penland took the witness stand after Sharinghouse had been subjected to an hour's rigid cross-examination, dwelling mostly on whether the terms dearest and with all my love appended to letters written in 1929, 1930, and 1931 held any meaning. He had contended that in those years he had attempted to make their relations largely impersonal, but Miss Hazen's counsel immediately presented the letters he admitted having written. Their verbal fencing, however, led to the conclusion that, You meant nothing at all by dearest? And he answered, Yes, sir, adding that I attached no particular significance to it. But he insisted he meant what he said in sending her all my love. There were times, he explained, when I could forget how she had abused me, and the old feeling returned. As a result, those closing years of their romance, he said, were a succession of falling in and out of love with her, until in June 1932 he at last wrote to her, There is no solution but to stop. He denied, though, that he had talked to her of sex, that she had offered to support them both on her teacher's pay, that she had shown dismay at their relations, that he had written anything vulgar and obscene to her, or that, as she had testified, he was wild to the point of brutality in his lovemaking. February 21st. With a positive, half-defiant no to each question, Miss Evelyn Hazen today denied that she had ever refused to marry Ralph P. Sharinghouse or threatened to kill or ruin him when he allegedly jilted her. She testified today as a rebuttal witness after the defense closed its case. Calm for the most part, she broke into tears as she denied she had planned to induce Sharinghouse to resume relations with her in an effort to win him back. Earlier in the day, two former girlfriends, 
Miss Mildred Eager and Miss Gertrude Penland, both of Knoxville, had insisted that Miss Hazen treated Sharinghouse so heartlessly that they were moved to protest and were berated for their pains. Both women also testified that Miss Hazen often told them of staying at a Buffalo, New York hotel with the most attractive man I have ever known, Jack McKnight of New York, and of her telling that he hailed her as more beautiful than I had expected when he first saw her in negligee, especially borrowed for the occasion. But Miss Penland added that when Miss Hazen announced plans to sue Sharinghouse, she then insisted the hotel episode was a mere fabrication. Both Miss Hazen and McKnight had denied it in direct testimony. February 23rd. A jury of 12 men tonight consider the question whether Miss Evelyn Hazen is entitled to damages from Ralph P. Sharinghouse for what she represented to be his refusal to marry her and hurts suffered incident to their relationship. The jury retired at 4.20 p.m. Eastern. It went out after hearing the last exhortation of Stephen L. Blakely, attorney for the former school teacher, to at least give her this vindication, even though it might be true that Sharinghouse has no job, property, or income. Day long, the final arguments of the 15-day trial were bitter. Sawyer Smith of Sharinghouse Council accused Miss Hazen of trying to cry a verdict from the jury. Blakely commented that Smith had poured out all the vindictiveness and vituperation that was in him. February 24th. Twelve men today gave Miss Evelyn Hazen an $80,000 verdict against Ralph P. Sharinghouse. You gave me vindication. That's all I wanted, Miss Hazen said through happy tears. That shows what sympathy will do, grunted Sharinghouse. The jury, one member revealed, was with her from the start and disagreed only on how much she should be awarded. And so each juror jotted down his idea of how much the verdict should be. The figures were added and then divided by 12. Miss Hazen had asked $100,000 in all, $50,000 for alleged breach of promise, and $50,000 more for alleged betrayal into intimate relations. The jury gave her $65,000 on the first count and $15,000 on the second the defense at once filed notice seeking a new trial and an appeal to higher courts if that is denied, asserting the verdict was excessive and contrary to the evidence. Judge Rodney Bryson said he would hear the motion for a new trial on March 5th. Women spectators who had jammed the courtroom throughout the 16 days of the trial fluttered around Miss Hazen. She, seemingly near an emotional collapse, smiled faintly back at them. Only she of the two principals was in court when the jury reported unexpectedly after a scant two hours of deliberation. Sharinghouse heard of the verdict while sitting in the office of his attorney. For 15 days of testimony and arguments, the actions of both had undergone heavy fire. Her witnesses had described Miss Hazen as a goody-goody girl who spent 15 years of devotion to Sharinghouse before he allegedly jilted her in 1932. Witnesses for the defense had pictured her as a thrill hunter who sought other men, decided at last that Sharinghouse was the best proposition, 
and then threatened to kill or ruin him when he concluded their relations had better cease. Kentucky High Court upholds $80,000 given Miss Hazen in suit. The Knoxville Journal, June 25, 1934. Frankfort, Kentucky. A former campus queen won in the Kentucky Court of Appeals today her $80,000 breach of promise suit against her big brother church deacon sweetheart, who she claimed told her they were married in the eyes of God, but refused to go through with the actual wedding ceremony. The principals were Evelyn M. Hazen, known because of her timidity as Little Tim on the University of Tennessee campus, where she reigned as the prettiest or most popular girl and sponsored the Cadet Corps, and Ralph P. Sharinghouse, a former University of Tennessee student who later became a church deacon and a well-to-do businessman. The appellate court's judgment narrated at length the history of the broken romance and how Sharinghouse, for 15 years, played with the tender chords of a woman's heart and when he became tired, crushed them as he would an inanimate thing. The opinion told how the couple met when both were students at the University of Tennessee in 1914, when Miss Hazen was not quite 15 years old and Sharinghouse was three and a half years older how she was chosen the most popular or prettiest girl on the campus and was first attracted to Sharinghouse because of his kindliness and because he did not tease her as did so many of the boys. He shielded her and took her part, the court related. Their courtship began in 1916. She looked upon him at the time as a big brother as well as a sweetheart and her confidence in him progressively grew. She respected him for his character and ideals. The college romance was furthered, the court commented, by daily notes the lovers left at the campus bookstore for one another, and in the spring of 1917 they became engaged to marry. He gave her his officially registered fraternity pin, the court related, which he told her would stand for an engagement ring, but she refused to accept it on that basis because she was wearing the pin of another boy and agreed only to keep it for him until his return from the army. Miss Hazen produced the fraternity pin at the trial of her suit. During the period of the romance, Miss Hazen testified, Ralph commented upon her innocence and in a gentlemanly way told her he thought a girl of her age ought to know about matters of sex, for she had been sheltered at home and was wholly ignorant of such things. In 1917, Sharinghouse entered an army camp at Fort Oglethorpe near Knoxville, and came home nearly every weekend. On one of those visits, the court said, in October 1917, he suggested that they should be married then and she should go back with him to the encampment. They stopped at the courthouse to obtain a marriage license, but the bureau was closed. It was agreed they would be married the next day, but that morning he called to say he had to take his mother somewhere. That evening at her home, he made most ardent love, the court commented. She was madly in love with him. He insisted that if she loved him, as she said she did, she would yield to his desires. He insisted they would be married in the eyes of God. Because of these and other importunities, she yielded herself to him. And after that, the matter of marriage seemed to be settled so far as he was concerned. 
Sharinghouse admitted the engagement, but fixed the time as being in 1918. He testified she had treated the matter as a joke and had refused to entertain seriously the idea of an immediate marriage. He denied having said anything about their being married in the eyes of God. After getting out of the Army in 1919, Sharinghouse completed his course at the University of Tennessee, went into business with his father, and for a time earned $400 a month, but insisted he could not afford the responsibility of supporting a family. Miss Hazen graduated in 1918 and began teaching in the Knoxville High School. They fixed a wedding date for the fall of 1924 and again in March 1925, but the wedding never took place. Both accused the other of having caused the postponements. During the development of the situation, the court said, Sharinghouse was apparently religious, attended church regularly with his parents, and became a member of the Board of Deacons. In July 1929, Sharinghouse indicated an intention not to marry Miss Hazen, but there was a reconciliation, and later she offered to maintain him out of her salary. In 1932, the opinion read, Miss Hazen called at Sharing House home and was met at the door by his father, who insulted her within the hearing of the defendant, and he raised no protest. And in June of that year, he wrote to her, indicating a complete break and laying the blame on her. Three days later, Miss Hazen's father died. Later, the court recalled, Miss Hazen lost her teaching position, which paid $2,400 a year and in December 1933 obtained a clerical place, paying $15 a week. She filed suit against Sharinghouse in Knoxville, but could not obtain service. She sued again after Sharinghouse came to Erlanger in Kenton County and won a verdict in Kenton Circuit Court. In his defense to the suit, Sharinghouse denied there was a promise to marry, charged Miss Hazen with unchasteness and having threatened her to kill him, and charged that she had overcome his powers of resistance and seduced him. Holding that the jury award was not excessive, appellate court said, No mercenary motive leaps from the record or lurks in the background, as is so often the case in suits of this character. There is displayed the picture of a young woman of refinement, culture, and high social standing. There is unfolded the story of grievous wrong with tragic consequences, of lost employment, of a vanished profession, of intense mortification, of wounded pride, of a broken spirit, of wrecked hopes, of despoiled honor, of degraded reputation, of lost social standing. The doors of a real love and matrimony have doubtless been closed against her, a jury of the home county of the defendant and his father's family have placed the amount of $80,000 as being the sum to which the stranger within their gates is entitled. The principals in the Hazen Sharing House breach of promise suit are members of prominent Knoxville families. Miss Hazen, who taught school here for years, later was secretary to Miss Louise Bignall when the latter was head of the CWA and until recently had been employed in the RFC office here. Miss Hazen is living at the family home on Dandridge Pike. She is the daughter of the late R.S. Hazen, at one time a member of the city council. Mr. Sharinghouse is the only son of Mr. and Mrs. E.H. Sharinghouse of Kingston Pike, 
and formerly was associated with his father in the Gillespie Shields Company Clothing Manufacturers, a concern now liquidated. He is an automobile salesman. Miss Hazen was born in 1899. Mr. Sharinghouse is now 40. Approximately 130 letters written to Miss Hazen by Mr. Sharinghouse were read into the record by the plaintiff. During the trial at Covington, the courtroom was jammed with curious spectators, and at one point in the testimony, a woman fainted. Kentucky's Court of Appeals had the case before it almost 21 months before deciding it. No appeal is known to lie to any other court. The next step will be for the plaintiff to attempt to collect the judgment. Now Knox County historian Steve Cottom provides a commentary. Evelyn Hazen, the hapless Hazen. Yes, she, she became such a notorious figure for her relationship with uh, Ralph Sharinghouse. If you look back at the family, it's really a very star-crossed family. I think you almost have to look back to her grandfather, uh, General Joseph Mabry, Jr. We did a podcast on him We did. We did. And Evelyn, I think you have to think of her. Um, her mother went to finishing school in Baltimore, uh, and the family was, was really financially ruined by General Mabry's shootout. By the time he had the shootout with O'Connor, he had lost almost all of his money, and her grandmother was forced to sell the family home to Rush Strong Hazen. And uh, by the good fortune that Evelyn, Evelyn Mabry married Rush Strong Hazen, the family was able to stay in the home, at least the, the mother and her daughter stayed there with the daughter's new husband. So it became not Mabry Hill, but the Hazen House, which is what it was called pretty much from the time Rush Strong Hazen bought it. So the, you know, the family had this huge scandal hanging over them. General Mabry, the, the notorious shootout on Gay Street, you know, three men dead, three very prominent men dead. And her grandfather had had um, gambling debts and had allegedly murdered a few people and was generally, uh, you know, generally kind of a notorious character. So the family was really noted for rectitude in the, in the new generation of Hazen House. Uh, Rush Strong Hazen was a, from a well-to-do family. He made his own money uh, in a grocery, wholesale grocery trade and did extremely well. So he was a very wealthy, prominent man, very respectable, pillar of the community, deacon of the First Presbyterian Church with three daughters and Evelyn was a beautiful young girl, a precocious young woman who uh, finished her education earlier than perhaps was wise for her to go over to the university. Uh, and the university was a very tiny institution in the early 20th century. It was the size of, an, of a large high school today. So it wasn't like, you know, mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of students. It was a few hundred students. Mm -hmm. And she was captivated by Ralph Sharinghouse, who was three and a half years older than she was. Yeah, it sounded like she, uh, at the beginning of the story, as an impressionable young girl really swept off her feet, and then it began to sound to me as if perhaps she and Ralph both enjoyed a fast life in the Roaring Twenties, and then in 1929, mm -hmm. a lot of things went sour. They, they, you know, there's pretty good evidence that they ran with what was called a fast crowd that they uh, enjoyed a, a sort, even though Ralph is portrayed in the trial as a pillar of rectitude, some of the evidence suggests that they, you know, had close friends who 
where there was maybe a married woman in the community seeing another I man other than her husband and they were partying and, you know, kind of living a, a slightly... A jazz lifestyle. A, a flapper lifestyle. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a jazz flapper lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, Evelyn was, of course, a high school teacher at Knoxville High School. She, her family, uh, she, had, she supported herself uh, from, from graduation in college. She made money as a teacher until, until 1932. But I think in the 20s, I think she and Ralph had a, a different kind of relationship. That I think she expected to get married. I think she thought he would finally settle down and marry her. And then when he didn't, it all kind of came apart for her. And then she lost her job. Mm-hmm. And as she, when she lost her job, she became really insistent that Ralph marry her. She had pushed him in a couple of times in the 20s. But she was unemployed, and it was in the Depression. And she expected that now they were going to settle down and get married. And when that didn't happen, she began to go to pieces, really. Uh, she had a breakdown, and the, her father and mother had her institutionalized at Linesview for a while. Uh, and partly because they were afraid she was going to do something that would crack the scandal open to the public. And they were, well, and that part about her institutionalization well, was not in the newspaper coverage. Right, it was it was kept very quiet. And she finally, after about, I think it was about six weeks, behaved herself. And when she got out of mental hospital slash jail, she, all hell broke loose. She, she, she was ready to, to let fly. And her father died right about the time, that time. Probably, certainly the stress of all these family crises didn't help any. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then the trial. And Evelyn, you know, told her story to the public. And she was beautiful. She was sympathetic. And, uh, and of course, she won a precedent-setting case that stood until the whole idea of uh, breach of promise became passe in modern times. But it was a, a precedent-setting legal decision that because of the evidence that was introduced. Uh, and there was evidence for both sides, you know, that was pretty ugly. But she did win. And, and the, you know, she maintained until she died that she never got one penny of that money, mm-hmm. which she probably didn't. But she won a victory over Mr. Sharinghouse. And he had been a, also been a deacon of the Presbyterian Church in Knoxville. <laughs> so he probably had a lot of fences to mend after after all that was over. But in in the course of all that, Evelyn's family reputation was pretty much ruined. They still had the Hazen house. Her mother was a widow. And so for the rest of Evelyn's life, she had to try to find a way to make a living for herself with the rental property that she inherited and then eventually working as a secretary to Dr. Hodges in the English department at the university. Was that John C. Hodges? That was John C. Hodges. And legend has it uh, that she wrote more of the Harbury's Handbook, than oh. he, the famous Harbury's Handbook, than he did. And, of course, that was his one of his great claims to fame was that teaching handbook for how to, to write proper English. Mm-hmm. And she was, a, she was a brilliant woman. She became increasingly embittered as time went by. Dr. Hodges was widowed, and there was some thought that maybe she thought she would marry Dr. Hodges. And when he married someone else, I think she turned against all humanity and turned all her affection to the animals that she kept at Hazen House. And that's legendary as and well. And that's legendary. Hundreds of cats and tens of dogs and a cow. <laughs> and that was... <laughs> the cow lived outside. It's a wonderful story. The cow uh, was a calf and apparently got away from one of the packing company trucks. The pack, Lay's Packing Company was down at the bottom of the hill in the old city, as we call it now. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
calf got away and they came looking for it and she said there's no calf here and she wouldn't let them look for it so she kept the calf and the calf became a pet and I had, I had on good authority from a man that I knew and respected that the cow had the run of the, the yard and he was sitting in the house talking to Miss Hazen one day when it was warm weather and the cow came up on the porch and stuck its head in the window and mooed so <laughs> <laughs> she, she was much more fond of her animals than she was of, of people and and I can certainly understand that. Um, she was, she was with with her life experiences. I mean, she had reason to be soured on on humanity, but she was quite a a character. And I guess one of the things that's most remarkable about her is that she um, stopped urban renewal on top of at Maybury Hill. Uh, urban renewal had sort of swept through the lower part of the East Knoxville below her house and was coming up to claim her house and her rental property, and she got. Judge Howard Bozeman and some other people to help her fight a legal fight, and she won. Mm-hmm. She stopped urban renewal through various maneuvers that she did, and it, so it stopped at her front door. They got maybe got a little of her property, but uh, and it's a good thing because that is a an important historic house. I've had a chance to read over some of the papers that she left about her wishes for the house, and it's called the Mabry Hazen House today. But she really did not want to emphasize the Maybrys at all. She identified herself as a Hazen and not a Maybury, and she really didn't particularly even want the name Maybury on it, but it really has to be there because it's part of the story. And she continued to live there in that house until she died. Mm-hmm. In her later years, she was a little bit of a recluse, but up until the end of her life, she collected the rents on her rental property in cash on the first of the month. She set up a card table in the hallway had a revolver handy in case anybody tried to rob her, and the people who were tenants in the houses roundabout came and paid their rent to her in cash. She was quite a strong-willed person, strong-willed woman. Who would play her in the movie? Oh, my heavens. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you thinking? If they had cast the movie Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day Mm -hmm. when all this was going on, Betty Davis. Betty Davis, oh, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Betty would be a dead ringer, and and Betty was even a beautiful woman when she was young. But Evelyn was was quite an interesting person, and she left this uh, foundation to preserve her family home as she knew it. She was more interested in it in, in terms of its whole history, not as the Mabry house, but as, as the Hazen's home with all of her family things in it. And uh, and that's really what's happened. Her, her will said that if the foundation did not succeed and if the house did not become a museum, that the house was to be raised, everything to be sold, and all the proceeds to go to the Humane Society. They all, would, all the money would have gone to the animals. <laughs> she was really a fascinating person. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Historic Knoxville News, a podcast of the Knox County Public Library. The podcast archives are available from our website at knoxlive.org. That's K-N-O-X-L-I-B dot O-R-G. On the podcast page, you can read article transcripts and find links to library resources related to the subject. You can leave your comments on each episode and support the podcast by linking to it with the handy share button. This work is published under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. Copyright 2010 by Knox County Public Library. The music was performed by Music Therapy and our reader was Robbie Griffith. I'm Melissa Brenneman. Join us again for another journey into Knoxville's past.